0: Hi, listeners. It's Lucy. Please don't scroll ahead. This is a very quick message, I promise, to ask a very easy favour. At the end of each episode as the credits roll, you'll hear a request from us to rate and review the show. Now, for those of you that are awesome podcast listeners rather than podcast makers, you might actually have no idea what a huge difference those things make. A significant factor in the visibility of a podcast on almost all listening platforms is down to the number and quality of ratings and subscriptions. So, if you are one of our dedicated listeners, hi, I know some of you as far away as Australia, so thanks. If you're currently not driving your car or changing a baby's nappy, can you please just look down at your phone right now as I'm talking and hit subscribe and five-star rating. Both of them are on the homepage of the show and they are both only a one-click job. But oh my god, what a lot of joy and gratitude I would feel at those one clicks. It makes such a difference to the show's potential to keep going. Now, enjoy the episode, and thanks for listening. Hi, Lucy Eaton here, host of Hear Me Out. We've had lots of requests from our amazing listeners asking how they can support the show. So before we invite today's special guest on, I wanted to let you know that we are officially now on Patreon. This means that you can invest in the channel monthly, and in return, you get all kinds of perks, from bonus footage to having your own questions put to our starry guests. Just head to our page on Patreon.com/podhearmeout. We've popped the link in the show notes below, and we would love to have you join the family.
1: You're about to hear a brief conversation with an incredible artist, part autobiographical journey, part literary analysis, and part late-night chat in the theatre bar. This is Hear Me Out.
0: And I'm your host, Lucy Eaton. Please welcome to the stage, Sanjeev Bhaskar. I would started off by
1: thinking, well, you know, I really haven't seen very much theatre at all. And I certainly haven't done, I think I've done four things on stage, ever um so I certainly haven't done very much and listening to the uh, other episodes in the podcast as well people were just so eloquent and <laughs> depth and the choices were superb and then I thought about um I made a list mm. of things I've seen and then when I looked at what I'd seen or things that had really stayed with me i mean shakespeare is Extraordinary. And I didn't get Shakespeare at all when I was a kid at school. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. a couple of productions we went to were quite frankly awful.
0: Mm.
1: I then saw Mark Rylance do Hamlet.
0: Great. Um, That
1: was an extraordinary experience. And then um, more recently, I suppose, than that, Othello with Adrian Lester was another incredible production. (sighs) And it was when I finally saw productions and actors who could speak the lines as dialogue... As opposed to declaiming the whole time and suddenly all of it makes sense and you can relate to it it becomes about you at that point as opposed to this otherness yeah. and i think that was the thing with me with arriving at something to speak to you about which was that you know as a kid of asian background born here uh, with no sort of culture of going to the theatre it really was television and films and most television and films and I loved old movies was that in a way because I already didn't fit in in order to access those stories to make them my stories I had to take my kind of cultural heritage out of it and the the useful thing about that was that suddenly you know, things that may have been considered women's films, like Now Voyager or All About Eve, suddenly ceased to be about the other because yeah, I had yeah. to connect with something. Yeah, yeah. I could only go in via an emotional connection. It was only until I saw East is East on stage by Ayub Khan Din that I saw something that resembled on stage in English a very, very personal experience. And so that's what. I think it's for me was so important about the play or seeing the play.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Was because it was this came out about 96, 97, something like that. And that's when I started. So, goodness gracious me, which was a a sketch show that I did, which is the first thing I did. Mm you know in my mid 30s thir- i started in my mid 30s so i was very late to which this is
0: very reassuring to a lot of people out there i think i hope so you're the type of story <laughs> that we all cling to you know it's like okay you know you don't want to hear yes. the stories about the people who come straight out of drama school and rise to success that's not helpful well it's kind
1: of so yes if if you're out there in your mid-30s with no experience and very little talent you too can have a career (laughs) it's it's possible i'm here i'm flying the flag
0: hey um
1: so that that's why east is east i think was was particularly important to me because suddenly i saw something that i didn't have to exclude my cultural experience from
0: In order to connect with it. That's really interesting and actually really hits on something which I think certainly the, I was about to say, just like the white community, but also the white male community are so quick to look at plays about other cultures and be like, well, that is another culture what relevance does it have to me type thing and your story is again great at just reaffirming this idea that like there is a way into all stories i
1: think the the difficulty with with people watching anything is that they immediately once it becomes about the other and you can say well i enjoyed it it was great but if you're thinking it's about the other then it's not your story anymore yeah. and so you know my th- whole thing about diversity Especially in Britain, mm-hmm. it's it's not just about cultural diversity. It's also about gender, and it's also about regional. Mm-hmm. Because mm. I I wouldn't watch something like Train Spotting, and think, well, that's not about me. I mean, I'll I'll look at it, but it's not about me. It <laughs> yeah. kind of has to be about me because that's the only way that I'm going to feel anything. Otherwise, I'm just watching. I'm, out, I'm at the circus, yeah. and, and that's why the breakthrough with Shakespeare was was kind of important because. Initially, because of the language, because of the meter, because of yeah. the stories themselves, it's absolutely nothing to do with my. There's nothing that I could reach for.
0: You're not a Danish prince.
1: I I could be. <laughs> <laughs> I could be. You're
0: not a fairy in the woods. I
1: well, that that I definitely sometimes. Have been. But it's it was it was that, and so suddenly when there were people yeah. who were actually feeling the words rather than just saying the words, yeah. It stopped feeling like, like mimicry.
0: Yeah, back to East is East. So when was it that you, or where did you first see it?
1: Uh, I think I saw it at the Royal Court. So um, I had gone to a theatre writers workshop, Mm -hmm. at which Ayub Khan Din was there.
0: Oh, amazing!
1: And he was talking about thinking about writing a play. I mean, he's a terrific actor as well. But he was thinking about writing a play based on his own experiences and i got chatting to him and he kind of talked about the fact that his his father was pakistani his his was english yeah he was one of seven kids right and then just related some of the the, the world that he'd grown up in in, in salford yeah. and i remember thinking when he was talking about it i was thinking wow this is going to be great but it felt like a series of sketches okay because they were amusing and we were in a social situation and I think that when the play came out and then subsequently the film, which did very well, it was far richer than that. And I think it was, you know, he, he managed to kind of have those elements of comedy and brutality and tragedy mm. uh, and the feeling of being trapped, you know, in the space of this one play, which to me were, were things like I'd, I'd felt or seen in other plays. Yeah. But he had that there, so the, the kind of uh, slightly darkly comic, not not quite in the same way as as someone like Joe Orton. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He had those kind of elements mm. in there, but a playfulness, which was almost like you know Noel Coward, and it was it was you know he would poured all of his abilities into telling that story. And he, one of the perennial things for me, I mean, he, despite being born in West London and brought up here, is that question of where do I fit in.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. It, Who's my people? Where where is home mm. for me? And it was the first play that I'd seen culturally that questioned that or interrogated that in some way.
0: That's quite an incredible um I was about to say name drop. What's it? Accolade. <laughs> that you were there. You heard about East is East before East is East was written. Yeah. Because it is such a it is such a I was about to say national treasure. My my words are escaping me now. But, you know, like it's such a cultural phenomenon now. It's such a popular play. Oh,
1: I, I mean, I have to pinch myself. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there were other plays that were written that tried to address those areas. I think that what made East is East important was that it kind of crossed over to a mainstream audience. Yeah. It ceased to be something incredibly niche and that was down to the power of the writing i think and the storytelling within it and and because goodness gracious me happened around the same time i think her uh, first series on radio was 96 or 97 so it felt like it was also part of something i think bend it like back in the film Right. also came out around that time. So yeah. it felt like there was a new British voice.
0: Yeah, 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 blooming.
1: That, yeah, that that had managed to cross over and become a, a British voice as opposed to, well, this will just a, appeal to, you know, an Asian community or a, yeah. or a minority community. Well, I
0: heard you say in another interview once, you were talking about Goodness Gracious Me and sort of saying there was almost an expectation that the audience would only be people of that background, of either a multicultural background or an Asian background. And that actually really early on, the audience numbers were so huge that you were looking at it going, OK, so this is clearly being watched by just everyone. Yeah,
1: or one Asian family.
0: <laughs> Very, good. Or the other. Very good. So Very good. So can you, for people who don't know it, can you just hmm. summarise what the play is about?
1: Yeah, it's about uh, a family, the Khan family, who are living in Salford, and uh, the dad, who's called locally george Mm. it runs a fish and chip shop and he married ella who is white english uh, local and they have seven children so there's quite an age range within the children Mm. and you know the children are torn between they're all young and they're all torn between they want to keep their parents happy and within that is that that george and ella are so different he is So rooted in the way that he was brought up Mm -hmm. and by the rules, social rules he was brought up with. And Ella is kind of, uh, you know, different uh, to how do they please them both? Mm. George is incredibly traditional in that he's trapped as well because, you know, he's come from Pakistan. In his world, men are in charge. Uh, Parents are deities. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. And he can't understand his kids who've got all these Western influences. And so a lot of the, the play is about those kids trying to kind of navigate their way through a quite, at times, violent father um, whose frustrations are, are expressed through violence towards his kids and to, towards his wife. But he doesn't understand them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the kids kind of drift between the two. So that's the basic kind of setup and are very funny moments in it and... As, as I've just said, it's kind of, you know, some quite brutal moments in it as well.
0: Where does the title come from?
1: It, I, I think it's it's something that my parents also used as well, which is to define the difference. It's East is East and West is West. You know, these things don't mix.
0: Yes, OK. And
1: so, you know, since the play is about mixing, about assimilating and about trying to work out where you sit within it all, yeah, that was a phrase that was kind of used quite a bit to kind of go I mean my parents did which is to kind of say you know the values here are different mm. from ours mm. and and they won't mix
0: so what were the bits you picked out why did these bits spring to mind
1: they struck me as counterpoints the, the first one is from george the patriarch uh, talking to one of his sons who has been trying to please him and and he's effectively trying to suggest why his way is right and his justification for it in talking to a child is kind of simplified.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the second one is one of his sons who has tried to break away. Abdul, uh, in a rebellion and frustration to his father's culture, has gone to the pub for the first time and been drinking. Mm-hmm. And so that whole thing of trying to fit in, and as Abdul has done here, which is to join in with the jokes which may be racist or sexist mm-hmm. or just, mm-hmm. just to fit in, is a terrible kind of inner conflict. Uh, my first job after graduating was at, um, at a big computer company. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't fit in at all. And one of the ways early on, I thought, well, I'll try to be like them and then maybe they'll accept me. And they were quite a misogynistic bunch. <laughs> and it was that awful thing of sitting there with a drink laughing with them at stuff that I found repellent yeah and I you kind of go which is the bigger evil here I think it's you know I think it's a lifetime's journey to understand who one self is and a degree of confidence I certainly didn't have then to to be able to step away and go
0: this is no I
1: disagree with all of you I think all of you are not me yeah, and so that was the thing with that particular speech is he's he's gone away and tried to to do that, and I guess I've done that in at various points through, particularly my youth and my twenties.
0: Have you? You haven't played either of them, have you?
1: No, I got um, I I've been offered George. Uh, a couple of times, actually. And it, it's, it's really been availability that's been the issue.
0: This is suddenly going on a brief tangent, which I'll have to then pull it back. But I know that when you say that you hadn't done a huge amount of theatre, you have done art, which is one of my favourite plays of all time. I mean,
1: that, I mean, that was the first one I did. And was
0: it? That is a baptism of fire. Yeah,
1: it was interesting. I, I played, um, uh, of the three characters, I played one uh, called Ivan, who has the most... Ludicrous five-page
0: yes speech
1: to do. I at speed. played
0: a female Ivan at <gasps> university.
1: Then you know. <laughs> and that speech is is a monster.
0: It's... Oh my god! But also, you have to bear in mind, like we did this all-female version, and then afterwards, I think we did it as part of like an experiment for an exam or something. Mm. And then we saw this article where someone once said to Yasmina Reza, "How would you feel if women wanted to take on the role?" And she was like, "Absolutely not." It is a play about masculinity. I would never allow it. And we were there being like, <sighs> <laughs> oh God, <laughs> so wrong. <laughs> it was just so so wrong.
1: But it's interesting in a way, although yes, of course, it's about masculinity when it's played by three blokes. Yeah. but I th- I thought it was an, it, it was a fantastic kind of look at relation at friendships.
0: that I was about to say that. It's about friendship. and and actually when we read it as three women. It, none of it didn't make sense.
1: But that, again, you know, going back to that thing about interpretation, Mira and I did an extract from *Taming of the Shrew* mm-hmm. for a benefit evening, and the whole passage of discussion they have about, you know, it's the moon. No, it isn't. It's the moon. We both kind of went. Actually, it's it's it is slightly problematical now. And we were working with Michael Attenborough, who, who was mm. directing the evening, and I said. Would you be okay if, in that last speech, within that last speech, we switched the lines around? And he said, "Yeah." And so that's what we did. Uh, so I did some of the Kate lines at that point, halfway through. Mira did the Petruchio lines, and it's it's an interpretation. It's still about relationships. Yeah. yeah.
0: I do think Mike Attenborough is one of the best people to be doing a bit of Shakespeare with. Mm. I remember Mike giving a little speech about "gallop apace" from *Romeo and Juliet*, which is the speech I would pick if I were on my own show. And I remember him giving this this sort of talk on that monologue and I really felt like I knew the speech pretty well already. But by the end I was like, oh, wow, you have just opened up so many more other things that I'd never comprehended about the way this is written, or you know what she's really delving into. So I can so imagine him being someone who'd be like, "Yeah, let's mix it up. Let's see what else we can." Well, that find. thing about
1: okay, so this is yet another tangent. But um, the only other time I've I've kind of performed any Shakespeare on stage was at the Globe, and again, it was a benefit evening for the Prince's Trust, and I was doing Bottom waking up from the dream brilliant and I didn't know it I didn't know the context of it at Mm. all Mm. so I'd learnt these lines we had the you know the the, uh, uh, audience was queuing up to to come in I was on the stage not knowing the speech (laughs) with uh, uh, the director with his head in his hands and there were lots of amazing people who were doing extracts from from different things and we kind of went into the uh, dressing room and I sat there looking at this speech and going, OK, it's snout and starveling and flute and they're people. And methinks I was, methinks I had. I think I know what that means, but I don't know what this means. And I thought, well, let me ask someone, because all these people are, you know, uh, a veteran. So I asked the person who was sitting next to me. Yeah. And I said, do you know this speech? And he said, he said, yeah, yes. And I said, could you just say, can you just explain what that means? Who's
0: it going to be? Oh, well, that's
1: kind of blah, blah. And he was really patient with me, Paul Schofield.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> it was just, you
1: know, what are the chances?
0: Sorry, do you know?
1: <laughs>
0: yes. Do you, are you familiar do with you know the this Shakespeare Do
1: I mean, you seem very old, so maybe
0: you You seem do. wise. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so I just got the best teacher. And you know, oh. going back to what you were saying about uh, Mike Attenborough, is if you've got somebody who kind of understands it and wants to impart and and play with it with you it is just the greatest gift yeah and then i walked out onto the um i was terrified and i walked out onto the stage of the globe and suddenly thought there were the groundlings i thought
0: what the hell are people doing down there that's apparently the most magical thing i've never performed at the globe and i would love to do a globe show because apparently it is such an odd experience having the audience well, it suddenly there.
1: struck me that, that, particularly because it was a comical speech, that actually what I was doing was somewhere between a play as I understood it and stand-up. Yeah. And suddenly it was oh, your relationship with the audience rather than that very traditional proscenium kind of, there's all the people facing you, it suddenly changes and suddenly yeah. you're talking to the
0: people. Yeah, yeah. I do want to get back to East is East. But I would also like to ask you just briefly about the speech that you first came to me with, (laughs) which I batted away, sort of, because I was like, this is not theatre. But it is actually a direction that I would love this show to be open to going in. Mm. I would love my guests to be able to discuss this sort of work. Mm. So please, can you tell the listener what your first speech choice was.
1: It, yeah, it's, it's the final speech uh, by Charlie Chaplin in the film The Great Dictator. And I think it's, it's quite a theatrical speech, actually, mm. because it is a monologue. Mm-hmm. There were lots of interesting things about it. First of all, I watched it when I was very young. Secondly, about it, it itself, is, you know, Chaplin is known for silent comedy. Yeah. And so this was his first, you know, feature-length Talking film, which which he wrote, and also he became, you know, one of the 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 iconic images of the twentieth century is Chaplin's Little Tramp, and this film, The Great Dictator, was the last time he played the Little Tramp character on screen, right. and the whole film is about this uh, a Jewish barber in Germany, Charlie Chaplin in his Little Tramp guise, um, suddenly being mistaken for Adolf Hitler, a Adolf Hitler-esque kind of character, called uh, Hinkle, and the very last speech is him talking to the massed crowds mm-hmm. uh, about how how humanity is the most important thing, and you know we we can't be swallowed up by mechanisation and things that make us our lives easier if we lose our humanity, and halfway through this speech where he's addressing the crowds he then just addresses the camera directly Mm. and just throws that breaks the fourth wall and throws everything down as a personal plea and i thought that was just extraordinary given who he was where he came from what he'd achieved and then in in a slightly perhaps innocent way um stripping it down to something really basic and I i that's why i thought it was amazing
0: Brilliant one. And the Chaplin Estate have been so nice and sent us a little recording. The power
2: to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power. But they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason, a world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite!
0: Is there a character in East is East? I know that you said that George is the one you've been asked to play a couple of times, but is there a character when you've seen it that you have felt most personally connected to? Um,
1: I don't think there's one. No, I think the amalgam of them is what I felt with George, you know, really of my father's generation. And so I kind of understood that because my dad was nothing like that uh, or is nothing like that. But certainly the fear that comes from not understanding the culture that surrounds you, Mm -hmm. it's the fear of the other, again, uh, thinking that you'll lose something of yourself. And particularly once you have kids, then, you know, you worry anyway about, you know, what's influencing them and how they're going to turn out. So it was bits of that that I Mm -hmm. recognized. I think it was recognition more than. More than anything else, but certainly amongst the kids, um, the speech that I picked from Abdul, particularly, that was something that, that in some form or another, had crossed my mind.
0: Would you like to read that speech?
1: I'll do the Abdul speech. Great. (laughs) Uh, So Abdul is talking to his brother Tarek. Mm -hmm. No, you shut up, Tarek. You're right. I was pathetic. Tonight in the pub with the lads. We were sat drinking, telling jokes, playing music, telling more jokes. Jokes about sex, thick Irishmen, wog jokes, chink jokes, packy jokes. And the biggest joke was me. Because I was laughing the artist. And they laughed at me because I was laughing. Seeing that whole pub was laughing at me. One giant grinning mouth. I, I just sat there and watched them and I didn't belong. I was crying. I so hard I couldn't catch my breath so I ran and kept on running when I got home my dad was here praying I watched him tarik. and it was right to be here, to be a part of this place to belong to something it's what I want I know my dad will always be a problem but I, I can handle that now perhaps I might make him change but I don't want that out there that's not who I am It's as alien to me as dad's world is to you.
0: It's so what you say about like, I mean, I know he's saying there coming home felt right. But it's that sense that nowhere seems to feel super comfortable.
1: Yeah, it's it's exactly that. And this is the thing about finding your tribe is that Mm. your community. And it was only actually when I started acting and writing. But I thought, I have found my community. This mm-hmm, is my mm-hmm. tribe. It's people mm-hmm. who are uh, creative and open and looking to communicate and looking to connect. Mm. That's my people. It's not people who have a similar name or a similar background or a culture or whatever, because it's, it's something I've said to the students at Sussex University, where I'm chancellor, yeah. which is that I've had the good fortune to meet Complete idiots from every religion, every age, every gender, every kind of uh, uh, political persuasion. But I've also met really great people from all of those as well. Yes. And so, it, you know, that language of creativity, uh, of art generally, mm-hmm. is, is where I kind of found my tribe. You know, I regard you as part of my tribe.
0: I regard you as part of my oh, tribe. Oh, well, that's really lovely. <laughs> oh, thank you.
1: Hear Me Out is a Lucy Eaton Productions podcast. Music composed by Tristan Kay and artwork by Rebecca Bright. Our heartfelt thanks to the estates and license holders that allow us to read our guests' speech choices. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please, please subscribe, rate and review. You can follow us on social media at PodHearMeOut and enjoy visual clips of the interviews on our YouTube channel. Finally, if you would like to support Hear Me Out, go ahead and click the Patreon link at the bottom of the episode bios.